Welcome to Younger and Older. I'm Dave Wager here in the studios of Relate365.com on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute with two former students who have been hanging around and being a part of Silver Birch Ranch and Nicolay Bible Institute for another year. Uh, we love these guys. We're glad they're here. And I get so excited when I look at what God is doing in your lives. And as an old guy, I do that because he is doing something. And the future is going to be with young people like yourself who love God and serve others. And both of you can choose to do that if you'd like to. Um, Mike, ahead of time, we were talking, and again, you've been on uh, Younger Older before, and uh, you have a, a couple questions. Uh, hit me with one of them. All right. So, well, one question I've been thinking about is just looking through the Psalms and um, in Psalm 119, verse 9, it says, How can a young man keep his way pure? And I was just wondering, what are your thoughts on that? Like how in today's age, in today's culture, can, you know, a young guy like me, you know, keep his way pure? Just seeking, you know, advice from an, an older guy like you. First of all, I think you got to admit that there is a pure and there is a non-pure. It, it's not shady. Mm-hmm. When people get into the shade, they begin to get all kinds of problems because they say, well, that isn't really bad. No, it's just sort of bad. I mean, you've heard me ask questions before. Young people, let's say, go into a movie. You, let's say you guys want to go to a movie, watch a movie. Mm-hmm. And you might look it up and see there's, okay, there's, there's two scenes that are not nice. You know, they're sexually explicit or their language. My question to you is how many scenes will make it so you won't go? Mm-hmm. How much um, impurity makes something impure is my question. Mm-hmm. And it, let's say you two get married someday or you, to each other, to somebody else, whatever. How much impurity is acceptable to your partner? Is, is somebody who just has one affair okay? Is somebody that's five, they're not bad yet? How much? Mm-hmm. So I think the first thing you have to do is establish what is the standard God gave us. And then not allow your brain to go anywhere but there. I mean, you choose what you take in your brain. You choose that. You, you don't, you're not always, sometimes you can't. I'm walking down the street, somebody curses out their neighbor and you hear it. I mean, you, okay, I guess, I guess you heard that. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, that's not the norm. So when you get to choose, you choose carefully to guard your mind. And, and the way you guard your mind is, is by saying, you know what, I know the standard here. I know that God, um, what he wants you to do is love other people. Um, one of the things that you and Hannah and everyone else your age is going to be tempted to do, because it's very American of us, you're going to be tempted to use what you should love and love what you should use. Um, and I would encourage you to, again, write that down somewhere and look at it once in a while and ask if, it, if you're slipping in that direction. For example, you're going to be tempted to love money instead of use money. Mm-hmm. You're going to be tempted to use people to get money. But really, you don't use people. You love people. You're going to be tempted to use God. God, you should do this for me because I'm a good person. So you're using God, rather than loving God. Mm. You're going to be tempted to use anyone in any way possible for the things that you love, and you might love power, you might love money, you might love comfort. And so all of a sudden, no, you know what, you use power, and you use comfort, and you use money, but you don't love them, 
Mm-hmm. And so that's why if you write that phrase down, you look at it, you can ask yourself that honest question. You can ask each other that question and realize, no, we, we, we don't use people. Hmm. How many people in our country do you think just feel used? Probably a lot of people. It's not hard to feel. Mm-mm. Because we do that. That's one of the sad sides of capitalism. Uh, somehow money becomes the object, not the better of people. Mm-hmm. Now, I might get a lot of emails saying you're not a capitalist. I am a capitalist. I just don't think you use people. I think you work hard. You get paid for it. You should. Honest day's work, honest day's wage, that whole works. But not using people. Mm. Um, and I think especially someone like um, you know Hannah and all the women out there, I think they have, you've grown up in a society where, where women are portrayed as something to be used in many respects. Yeah. That's not a right portrayal. You're to be loved, not used. And you need to understand that and you need to focus on those who actually demonstrate that to you. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen anyone in life that demonstrates that they could love you and not use you? Yes. I mean, definitely my parents have shown me that a lot and several different other close friends from back home. Okay. That's what you focus on. And God, when you think about it, uh, he doesn't really, and you know I've said it many times, but he doesn't need you. Mm-hmm. So he's not using you. Everything he does for you is because he loves you. That's the cool part. Mm-hmm. And he wants you to be the best you can. So my encouragement to you two, everything you do for each other is not because you're using each other. It's mm-hmm. because you're caring for each other. That is so different than the world lives. And actually, those relationships that do that can last forever because they, they're doing it the right way. You're not using God. You're not using each other. You're hanging around with people who understand this principle. You're looking at older people who don't use people. They love people. And they've understood this. Anytime you start making decisions based on a love for money or things, see, God says the love of money is like the root of all kinds of evils. You, mm-hmm. you can't love money. You can't do it. And uh, one of the most important things that, especially in my mind frame, one of the most important things that Hannah will ever experience is that she is a, a young lady who is valued by those around her. And, and not used, but loved. And if you end up feeling that way, Anna, you're going to be one special lady that will have a very unusual uh, group of friends mm-hmm. uh, because it's hard in America. But, but with that being said, you too can do that. Now, you too can, can say, this is how we're going to live. We're, never, we're not going to use what we should love, and we're not going to love what we should use. Mm-hmm. And again, that's one of those silly phrases you write down somewhere. <laughs> because every once in a while, you've got to remind yourself of that. Because like money becomes too important. Uh, I don't know how many parents I've talked to where they're, you know, the father's not there. And I say, why don't you make less money? Why? Your kid will think it's more important that you went with him rather than, yeah, but we'd have to have a less house. Get a less house. Get, <laughs> get, get, get a crummier car. Do you think your kids care? Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, I don't think a kid cares that you're driving a Maserati, you know, I, <laughs> unless you make it a big deal about it. So get one that you can afford and take the kid fishing. And I mean, do something different than what you're doing. Mm. Um, and th- if that makes sense to you two, you're young enough to say, okay, then we adjust our lives to that going forward. I mean, that's, that's how simple that is. And then everyone you meet, you get infectious to, or they don't want you around. 
because you're not going to be one who will use people. And you'll be one who loves people. And in some business situations, you can't work in it. Because, it, you know, I've had guys struggle with this as salespeople. Do I really tell them the truth? Of course you do. Mm-hmm. You can't sell something just because you want a quota. Mm-hmm. That's using people. You tell them the truth. You know, I could I could be a salesman, but I would have to be one for something I actually believed in. Yeah. Because I can't sell you, you something that, you know, I think I'm just using you to get your money. Yeah. Um, so, and uh, by the way, salespeople that are listening, I'm not trying to stop you from being good salespeople. Just be honest. I have found that guys that are honest in life because they care about people, they have the best businesses anyway, and people go to them no matter what. <laughs> um, car dealer we know, you know, I, I would send you to this car dealer because I promise you this guy's going to tell you the truth about every single car he sells. He's going to tell you the truth about the service. He's not going to overcharge you. He's going to charge you a reasonable amount. And if you needed a car, I know who to send you to because of that. Mm. Anywhere in the country, you want a car, I know the guy to send you to. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's one of those things, <clears throat> right? Because he's a Christian guy who will not use other people. Does he deserve to make a living off of your purchase? Of course he does. But, you, could, you know, if you're honest, you can say, this is what I'm making. And the guy's got to make something. He's got to pay for all his overhead, his salaries, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And that's reasonable. But that makes sense. Not only that, Philippians 4.8. Do you know that by heart, by any chance? Philippians 4.8. <clears throat> whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is right. Yes. That, that if, you, if you write flip, you know, that verse down somewhere and you put it by your computer, you put it by somewhere where you have to read every day, then all of a sudden you get a standard. Can I watch this movie? Does it fit this criterion in, in Philippians 4.8? Can I do this activity? Does it fit this criterion? Should I read this book? Does it fit this criterion? Because what happens eventually is, it, you know, wherever you spend time dwelling, you eventually end up having your mind think on those things. And that's why pornography and those other things in life are so dangerous, because people begin to... Um, have their mind totally absorbed with using people and not loving them. Mm-hmm. Totally absorbed with um, uh, minimizing relationships and maximizing uh, their own dominance over relationships. And that's not healthy. And it never will be. And it will never be good for the brain. And anybody involved in that needs to understand that they're destroying their relationships. They're not, you're not enhancing them whatsoever. So I don't know if that, that helps at all, but I would say one of the greatest things to do is you don't want to get muddy, stay out of the mud. Mm-hmm. You know, don't go places that aren't pure. Don't. <coughs> you know, yeah. in my life, my goodness, I, I don't know the last time I watched a movie, actually. <laughs> I don't, you know, even anything on television half the time. I, you know, I, you qu- I quit watching news during the last election because there were obvious lies going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, there'd be an ad from one candidate, an ad for the next, and they were 180. They were totally, they couldn't both be right. I actually wrote the president of that broadcasting thing and said, how can you air two things like that? Mm-hmm. They said, we have to. And I thought, well, then I don't have to watch <laughs> because you're confusing my brain. And you think, well, you're an old guy. You should be able to sort it out. I don't even want it in my head. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't want it there because then you got to deal with it somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, once you take something into your mind, you actually have to deal with it. 
It's not like, oh, I saw that, now I'll never deal with it again. It's there. Now you need to, you know. Have you ever tried to purify a, a dirty glass of water without a filter? Doesn't really work. No, but there is a way to try. You know how to do it? Just take the water, take it outside somewhere, and keep putting fresh water in it. Eventually, eventually, it will be as pure as you need it to be to drink. Because it'll keep overflowing until the impurities are gone. And really, that's what we do in life. So let's say something happened to you in life, something's not great, you don't... All right, why don't you fill your brain with purity? Just keep filling it. Mm-hmm. Eventually, the impure just, you know, go out in the ground and be gone for a while. And I think you can do that. I mean, anybody can do that. Philippians 4.8, another verse. I'm giving you all kinds of things in these last two. Write them down, look at them, mm-hmm. put it somewhere. Um, do you think that we should have reminders around us like this? I think so, yeah. goes back to what just popped into my mind is, Back when you taught about in classes, goes back to your hours of influence. Right. What, what are you being influenced by, and it's going to affect you and how you live your life and everything. Yeah, Hannah, we have uh, campers up here when they put their trust in Christ. What do we ask them to do? We ask them to write it down on a rock, um, and then throughout camp, there's different jugs of rocks full of campers' names that they can remember that they um, made that decision and made that choice. Right, and and it really comes from the idea that we're talking about. If we don't do something to consciously remind ourselves of the decisions we make in life, we, we tend to forget them. They tend to go to the side. If there's something really, 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 really important to you, do something to remind yourself of it. You might say, oh, it's really important. I'll never not be reminded of it. Oh, yes, you will. Mm-hmm. Do something to remind you of how special that is. And, um, and kids who come to know Christ, what's really fun is we give them a rock, or they find a, whatever, there's a rock. They put their name on it, and then they do one to take home to. And when they take it home, you know, if I'm speaking, I ask them, when you take that home, I want you to put that somewhere where you look at it every day. All I'm trying to do is get them to remember God's mercy, remember God's grace, remember that moment. And if I give that advice to uh, eight-year-olds, I'm also giving it to you. Do things to remind yourself of things. In my office, believe it or not, I have weird things. And on the shelf, one of my shelves, is a little glass vial of dirt from the football field I played on when I was in college. Hmm. It's totally meaningless to the world. But that dirt has my blood and sweat on it. And in four years of my life that I absolutely loved it, God worked in my life, and that little vial of dirt reminds me of some very precious times. That's all. And for everyone else, when I die, that dirt can be thrown out. But for me, that dirt has value because it reminds me of a time in life that I made a lot of decisions that God worked in my life that I want to remember. And uh, I encourage you to do that in your life. Philippians 4.8, write it down. Make sure the criterion fits everything you do, and before you know it, your brain will be so full of what's right and pure that you'll be somebody who is focused the way you should be, and you can actually look at people and think, what can I do to help them be the best they can be, not what can I do to use them for my own benefit? Mm -hmm. Big difference in life. 
Uh, you had another question you're thinking about. <clears throat> yeah, another question just kind of um, interesting is um, in our devotions the other day out at the barn, we were just reading along and uh, we got on the topic just discussing of whether or not we should capitalize he and him when referring to God and Christ. And it's just, I know I've always capitalized it, but then reading the Bible and some translations, I don't see it capitalized often. So I was just wondering what are your thoughts on that? Like, should yeah. we capitalize it? Is it wrong if we don't? You know, I really don't know. I, I, I could ask you some other questions. So I'd say, do you, do you love God? Mm-hmm. Do you respect him as God? Yes. Is there anyone equal to God? No. And I would ask, how do you show that? That's all. I, and for me, I too capitalize it all the time because it's, you know, God describes himself as unique, unique, unique. And when somebody tries to compare anything to God, they can't. There's nothing to compare to him. If you think about that, that's so big and it's so incredible that you can't even compare anything to it because there's nothing to compare to it. So I think there's got to be a way for us to demonstrate some sort of respect, that's all. Mm -hmm. And However you do that, do I think people who use a small H when they say he are disrespectful? Probably not. I don't know if they thought about it, <laughs> you know. Um, but for me personally, I don't make a real big deal about it, for, but for me personally, I always capitalize it. And I do realize I get frustrated, and I have to let that go, but I get frustrated when I read some of the Bible versions and it's not capitalized. Mm -hmm. um, however, some Bible versions will put Jesus' words in red just to make them stick out. And again, that's their way of honoring the fact that these are really special because they're from God and all the rest yeah. you know, inspired by God, but these are words directly from him. Mm -hmm. Hopefully we all show that we respect who God is um, and enjoy who he is. Now, let me throw some things, I was reading issues I was reading about issues for Christian youth today. Mm. Just issues. And this guy listed 10 issues that he thought. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through them and then maybe ask you if any of these strike you. One, personalizing and living out their faith. Whether they do or they don't, it's just that you can have faith but actually not act like it, in other words. Uh, two, the this, this second thing he sees as an issue is living in an, how to live in an anti-Christian culture. I mean, how do you do that? How do you love people? Uh, three, sexual purity in a society where pressure and temptation exists. Number four, personal identity and self-image issues. And five, divorce and family issues. Six, we already talked about in the last younger, older busyness, it, it, as far as a society that can be forever busy. Mm -hmm. uh, seven, uh, the absence of father figures. Eight, the negative media influence. Nine, the lack of discipline. And ten, materialism. Um, this guy summarizes these 10 issues in, in the culture that is growing up right now and trying to say, okay, we need to address these, you know, somehow. So uh, living out our faith. Um, uh, do you understand what he means when he says that? Because it's kind of like, can you believe, do you know people your age that say they love God but don't act like they love God? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Do I know. you ever say you love God and then don't act like you love God? No. Okay, but well that's good because if you love God, act like you love God. That's it. If if I've been married for 40 years, I should act like I'm married for 40 years. That's one of those just normal things. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how a culture can say things and detach from it 
even though they've said it. So what does it mean in our culture if they say I'm a Christian? What does it mean in our culture to say I'm a Christian, but I, I believe in uh, LGBTQ stuff, and I believe, I mean, can you? When God's word makes it very clear what's going on? Mm. Somehow we are living in a culture that we can make our faith what we call our own and live it the way we want to. And I'm thinking, how does that work in a relationship? So let's say you two one day get, get married and, and yet you live your own life with each other and don't adapt and don't change according to being married. How would that work? It wouldn't really work. There would be problems that would arise. Yeah. And if you came to me and said, you know what, our marriage isn't well, Dave, I'd say, well, I, I know I'm not a counselor, and this is probably why, because my first response might be, are you acting like you're married? <laughs> <laughs> and you would have to say, no. Well, why don't we start there? You know, I mean, you are married. You're not single anymore. And that's one of the great adjustments of married life is people have to figure out how to stop being single and start being a couple in everything they do. And there's no more thinking just me anymore. You always think we. No matter what happens, it's always two of you, but you're one thought, and, you know, that could be another program. But, mm. but that's living out reality. And I think with Christianity, it's the same way. If you, if you know God, you love God. Shouldn't you act like you know God and love God? Mm -hmm. And your life should be affected. <clears throat> what if, can you, let me ask you guys this, can you be a believer, be one who knows God and live in sin? Can you do that? No. Well, you could, but you're not saved because you're sinless, right? No. Mm -hmm. So Christians still sin. Mm -hmm. But if I keep living in sin, shouldn't I be asking myself some questions? Yes. And what would be the questions I would ask? I mean, if, if I... So let's do it in another relationship. So Linda and I, we're married 40 years, and, um, and I don't, uh, you know, every... I don't, I don't ever tell her I'm at. I don't come home, you know. So, but I say, but we are married. But for 40 years, I've been acted married. The issue isn't blinding to anyone else. The, the issue is I'm not acting in accordance with what I am. Technically, I'm married. If you were my children and you were disobeying me, would you still be my children? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's not the issue I'm talking about. I'm talking about if you're my children and disobeying, why are you disobeying? That's my question. If I'm your father and you guys aren't listening to me, I'm asking you why. So why would it be if that were the case? Why would you not listen to me? Well, it could be out of just our own selfishness. Could be. Could be that I'm unreasonable. Could be I'm a jerk. I mean, there could be a lot of could be's mm -hmm. in there. Now let's let's transfer that to God rather than me because He's not unreasonable and He's not a jerk. So 
why wouldn't we listen to him? Because we're thinking of ourselves. And we don't know him. Mm-hmm. Goes back to that again. Because if you actually knew him, you'd listen to him. If you don't know him, you're not going to listen to him. Whenever you see somebody who's living in sin, they may actually be a baby believer. They may be somebody who has put their trust in Christ. Because it's not the lack of sin that makes us in the family. But they don't know God yet. So how does a young person come to know God then? There's several ways. Number one, we'd love them to read the Bible. But they also need to observe. God can use people in their life. So you become those people. You become the people that demonstrate who God is in their life. So now they have to deal with that. And, and what's really interesting as you go forward, it's you're showing by how you live how to personalize your faith. And that's what's critical. Mm -hmm. Because they don't believe it's done. And why? Because they, don't, they haven't seen it. How many kids you think, just in general, grow up in a home where parents say, yeah, we love God, we trust God, and then they argue all the time about money, they don't trust Him with their finances, they, they, God is a very minimal part of their life, and they tell everyone that, no, He's the most important part of our life. Mm -hmm. So what did the child grow up learning? That you can basically do whatever you want and still call yourself loving God. Exactly. Yeah, loving God and wanting to, you know, this is who I am, and you want people to recognize that, but that's not how it is. So the child grows up, and they've already learned to play the game extremely well. That's what he's talking about, personalizing the living out faith rather than just saying, I have faith. You know, it's a process. And in this day and age, it's really hard because it involves, I encourage you to go to Second Timothy and see how God talks to Timothy, or how how uh, uh, Paul, Paul talks to Timothy, and, he, and he's basically saying, uh, rebuke, exhort. I mean, there are these steps to learning. Mm -hmm. Well, in our culture, it's getting really hard to rebuke anyone. In fact, it's getting almost impossible because we've gone back to the time of judges where each person does what's right in their own eyes, which means that if I come and tell you what you're doing is not right, then I'm the one not right. And uh, yeah, it can be mishandled, but if I'm using God's word, um, then you really should at least take some time to evaluate what's true. Yeah. Uh, Satan would love to hide what's, what's true because the truth is what actually sets you free. Mm -hmm. And uh, we don't have time in this program, but what I find and what the scriptures teach is when you listen to God, when you listen to him, that's when you realize that the truth sets you free. It's not when you just know the truth. It's when you listen to the truth. After you listen to it, you realize, wow, it's right. Mm -hmm. So God told me to love my wife like Christ loved the church. He told me to be pure. So when I do that, then after I'm pure, after I love her, then I go, oh, he's right. He's right. This is good stuff. Mm. And, and that's when you know the truth sets you free. That's why living out faith is very important, not just having it. Mm -hmm. Because when you live it out, you realize the truth, the truth sets you free. Well, I'm Dave Wager here again with Hannah and Micah in the studios of Relate365.com. And uh, we're on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute. I invite you to go to Relate365.com and download these podcasts and more. 
Goodbye for now.